2 Corinthians 11, 16 to 33. I repeat, no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, who was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that this day you would help us to understand your scripture. We ask that your hand would be on Pastor Kyle as he preaches, that you would make his words um, clear, that you would cause him to preach faithfully, and that you would help us to pay attention, to absorb the words, and to meditate upon them throughout the week. Use these words, Lord, to change us and to conform us into the image of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. People who like to boast are usually blind to the foolishness of it. You know, the, the professional athlete who thinks we're all impressed as they're making a show of the football and right before they cross the the end zone line, a defensive player knocks it out of their hands, and their foolishness is seen by all. 
Uh, the, the humble brag on Facebook. Zendaya is so nice when you get to know her in person. The, the ways in which we, we want to put ourselves forward and we're thinking everyone is very impressed by us. Uh, and yet full, boasting is a foolish habit. And it doesn't make us look as awesome as we think that it does. The Apostle Paul knows that and he is clearly uncomfortable with the idea of boasting. He keeps connecting it with the, the idea of, of foolishness. Let no one think me foolish. And if you do, accept me then as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's acknowledging that boasting is, is not the habit of those who are seeking to honor the Lord. But Paul feels it's important that he would boast in this case of his ministry to protect the Corinthian church from buying into the arrogant teaching of the so-called super apostles who had come into the church. He boasts in his ministry as a way of, of reminding the church, this is the teaching and the way you should imitate. This is the truth that you receive from God which saved you. This is the truth that will build you up rather than what you're hearing from them. The implication that, that Paul gives to us throughout this, what has been a, a bit of a long discussion about boasting and foolishness, is that if boasting is something foolish to do, then if we're impressed by boasting, then we are equally foolish. That is his point in verse 19. You gladly bear with fools, and then he says sarcastically, being wise yourselves. In other words, you're putting up with this foolish boasting and arrogance by the super apostles, thinking you're wise, but you're not really wise. You're, you're fools like them. Boasting says, look at me. Boasting says you should be impressed with what you see, what's accomplished. Boasting is, is encouraging us to want this. Whatever it is we are, whatever we've done, here is something you should admire. Here is something you should want for yourselves. The problem with boasting according to the flesh, as Paul calls it, meaning boasting of what human effort can do is that it's, it's empty. If we lean on the things we boast of according to the flesh, it's all going to collapse out from under us. Our wisdom always will be limited. Our powers all fade and all that we can build according to the flesh really is, is no more permanent than sandcastles on the beach. Uh, eventually, it all 
will pass away. Nothing according to the flesh will last. Nothing. And all that we can be proud of and all that we can lift up will one day be completely brushed aside. We get some sense of how the super apostles were boasting in the church, the way they were approaching their ministry, uh, by what Paul has to say in verse 20. If you bear it, if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face, we get a sense that these men came in with a ministry that was very self-serving and arrogant. In their claims about their wisdom, why they should be followed, they were actually abusing the people, abusing them because rather than being shepherds of the people, they were just pulling from the people their admiration, their respect, and giving them foolish paths to follow. It is an abuse whenever we're leading the people of God away from the truth of God. Because it, that can only lead us to thinking and attitudes and lifestyles that, that fail, that are counterproductive. Goodness is in the ways and rule of God. And anything that we would do that detracts or distracts people away from the truths of God, that's an abuse to them because it's a harm to their soul and to their lives. These men had come into the church and rather than leading the church in the health of great commandment living, let's serve the Lord more deeply. Let's get to know him better. Let's give ourselves to him. They were seeking to be exalted themselves. And so they were leading the church backwards into worldliness. They were using spiritual language. They were probably quoting Scripture at times, but the direction they were leading the people in was back from where they had started before they were believers. They were leading them to be worldly, superficial people of pride. And so Paul, Paul identifies their boasting is foolish. And he recognizes he, he needs to step into this foolishness of boasting, not so he can exalt himself like they do, but to stop and interrupt the path that the people are following. So Paul is going to carry out what he calls the foolishness of boasting. However, Paul will boast in a different way. Uh, Paul will carry out what is actually wise boasting. He starts by matching what we would think are some of their mundane claims of the super apostles. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Are they, 
offspring of Abraham. Well, I am too. It would appear that the super apostles who were of Jewish background had come into this Gentile church and they were seeking to uh, impress the church with their Jewish pedigree, bringing in claims about the long heritage, things that are true, the long heritage of the people of God, of the temple worship of the law, probably bringing in some forms of Jewish mysticism and exalting themselves as being better than these Gentiles because of their Jewish background. And, and Paul could say, well, that's true of me as well. It's in verse 23 that we begin to hear from Paul the kind of boasting that we're used to, what we would expect when we hear that someone is going to boast. When Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Now, okay, now Paul's warming up. Now Paul is going to do some real boasting and we can imagine what's going to follow. I've planted more churches than any of you. I am, my name is, is known in more cities. I've had bigger crowds. Paul has a long list of what he could lift up and say, you think you're impressive. You think you have served. I have done better. I have reached more. I have more success. That's what we would think. That's what boasting does. But it's not at all what we hear from the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm a better servant of Christ. And then he begins this wrenching list of suffering. And we might think Paul needs some lessons about how to brag. He's not very good at this. The description in verses 24 and 5 is, it's painful just to read, let alone to think about. Five times he received the 40 lashes minus one. In Jewish law, 40 lashes with the whip was the most that could be given. And so it was the Jewish tradition that they always gave 39 lashes so they wouldn't mistakenly miscount and go over. And so the 40 minus 1 means he was brutally beaten five times, 39 lashes. Can you imagine what his back looked like? The, the scarring all over his back? his arms, his legs. And then he speaks of being beaten three times with the rod. The rod was the Roman form of beating. So this would have been beatings that came not from Jewish officials, but from civic leaders in Gentile cities. They could hit you as many times as they wanted. And then added to that, he speaks of once being stoned. We read about it in Acts 14, where this was the form of, of Jewish execution. Large rocks, the, the purpose is to kill you. And so they're, they're heaving rocks large enough to kill you. And these are just thrown at him and thrown at him until 
The Bible says he was left for dead. They, everyone left thinking he was dead. Some think that maybe he was and that God raised him. But his, his body bore scarring. Think of what it felt like for Paul to wake up on a chilly morning. How long it, it just took his body to warm up from all the abuse, the arthritis. Pain had to be constant. A body cannot take that abuse without being pained. Shipwrecked three times, and that's so far because the famous shipwreck that we read about at the end of Acts, that hasn't even come yet. He's got more ahead. Then he gives this long description in verses 26 and 27 of all the difficulties and obstacles, dangers that were just part of life. Rivers, robbers from the Jews, the Gentiles, cities, wilderness, at sea, on land, from false brothers. He says, I, I go without rest. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm sleeping on the ground in exposure. It seems to just be Paul's normal, and that's life. That's what it is for me. I'm, I'm always in danger from something. And then what may be for Paul the most significant of this, this whole list. If I was beaten one time for the gospel, I think it'd be hard for me not to bring it up a lot. You know, what I've been through, how hard it's been. What Paul presses upon us, verse 28, apart from these other things, meaning on top of it, what seems to be heaviest to him, the daily pressure, the anxiety for all the churches. He can't just calm up, find out how things are going. He knows that the wolves come in the churches, false teachers as they were in Corinth. He knows leaders fall astray. He is concerned for all of these churches he's planted. He's concerned about the churches that are being persecuted. He's concerned about churches that are having division. His heart is burdened for the people of God. And that weighs on him. And, and then of those who have fallen into sin, he is, he is heartbroken. Of those who have left the ways of the Lord. And then he sums it all up in verse 30 this way. As a way of describing all of this, of, of what boasting means from him. What it is I'm going to exalt about my life. If I must boast, implied, and it looks like I have to because of your persistent following after foolish men, so I too must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This was a, an important point for Paul. He will repeat it twice more in the next chapter. If I must boast, then I will boast of those things that show, that display my weakness. 
What follows it in verses 32 and 33 seems to kind of not fit in. Uh, this story at Damascus where the, the governor is, is trying to capture him and the city gates are guarded and so he's, they lower him in a basket through a window and he escapes. That for Paul is just one example of, okay, I'm going to boast not in all my successes. I'm going to boast in something that made me look foolish, something that was pride-shattering. I'm hiding in a basket being lowered through a window at night. That, that's me, the impressive Paul. I didn't leave the city with, with crowds cheering, no, stay longer. I'm hiding in a basket, fleeing for my life. So he's, when he says, God who knows I'm not lying, God knows I'm not lying about what I boast in, where my heart is. And so this is how I'll boast to you. Here's an example of me being a weak man, a fearful man, of me being rejected me running for my life. Paul is actually very good at boasting because Paul boasted wisely. He boasted not in what would exalt himself. He boasted in a way that it is Christ who is exalted. He Boast in the things that make it clear I am insufficient and there is nothing that I can accomplish apart from the grace of God. He boasts to people and he boasts to his own soul that my hope is in what Christ will do and nothing else. Wise boasting is what takes attention away from ourselves and our supposed strengths and moves our attention to the one who is all deserving of it, to Christ who alone can carry the weight of our life can carry the weight of our family, can carry the weight of our business, can carry the weight of our needs, can carry the weight of our nation. Indeed, he alone carries the weight of the world for there is salvation in no one else but Christ. There is hope in no one else but Christ. There is life in no one but him, and so it is him who, Christ, who Paul's heart seeks to lift up. So his boasting, it leaves no room for anyone to exalt Paul, but to look to the, the one whom he follows and serves. Boasting and weaknesses reminds us of what is always true, but we lose track of it. How desperately we need Christ. All of the time, in everything. 
Jesus is not a, in case of emergency, break glass. Have you ever seen anyone do that? Now, I've been by those things how many times? Those emergencies, they don't come very often, and sometimes that's how we can treat Christ. When, when I don't know what else to do, I trust wholly in him. And Paul's point is, I just trust wholly in him all the time. Because the alternative, you can see, is nothing to be impressed with. There is no strength here. Boasting in weaknesses protects us in, in two opposite but complementary ways. The, the first is the most obvious. It, it keeps us from self-dependence. When we boast about what shows our weaknesses, we're reminding ourselves oh, we must depend on Christ. I, I dare not leave the house today without freshly setting my heart and life in his hands. The reminder that I'm not in charge, thankfully, he is. But there is another benefit of boasting in weaknesses, and that is it protects us not only from self-dependence, but from self-pity. The self-pity of looking at weaknesses and just staying self-centered with the attitude, I can't do anything right, I'm no good. It's just more pride expressed. We're, we're keeping the focus remaining in ourselves. What I can't do. Boasting in weaknesses, it's, it's lifting them up and saying, I cannot, but I know who can. It's reminding ourselves of this wonderful God in whom we can rest with our dependence. And so we shouldn't foolishly depend on, our, on ourselves and neither should we in a foolish way be filled with self-pity when we have Jesus. And he is all that we need. And he's here with us at all times. There are two unspoken values in Paul's list of struggles and weaknesses. He doesn't directly mention the values, but they're clearly seen. And these two values help us to understand more deeply what this boasting of weaknesses is about for Paul. What's the motivation? What's the heart behind it? The first value is that Christ is worthy. Christ is worthy even when my back is beaten. I'm going to the next city. I'm not stopping. And when you've been beaten eight times and stoned, you don't know what's in the next city but the odds are it's not going to be pleasant. When it's happened that many times, it could happen again. And yet, Paul doesn't stop, even though there's dangers getting there and, and dangers and pressures on every side. Paul doesn't stop because 
Christ is worthy. Christ is worthy just within himself. He is worthy for his own person, for my life to be given at any cost for him. But Christ is also worthy because we know that any cost we give, we will receive infinitely more forever because his future is our future. His forever kingdom is our forever kingdom. And so all of this struggle, it is the briefest time. Christ is worthy of my wholehearted commitment. And along with that, the second value is for Paul, and so I will be faithful. Christ's worthiness, Paul's faithfulness. It's important to notice, Paul doesn't approach his list in any way that puts the emphasis on his fruitfulness. Christ is worthy, and look at all the success I've had. And Paul had had success. The churches planted, the, the men raised up, the, the lives that came to the gospel, the, the impact on continents. His theological contribution and writings which are strengthening the church today. Paul could point to fruitfulness, all God-given, but we could easily look at it and say, well, I could never come anywhere close to that. I could never accomplish what he, he did. I, I could never have a mind to understand what he did. Paul Though he was fruitful, he doesn't give attention here to the fruitfulness of his ministry. It is the faithfulness. We cannot imitate his fruitfulness. It was unique. It was God-given, but it was unusual. But all of us, everyone here, can be as faithful as Paul. Everyone here can be that faithful. What it takes is today again, he will have my whole heart. That's what it means to be as faithful as Paul. It's not to have as much responsibility or success. It is he will have my heart. I will be a, a husband, wife, parent, worker, employer who shows Christ has my heart. In the secret places when no one's watching, Christ will have my heart. He gives the fruitfulness. Our responsibility is, is to be faithful people. And Paul's list in showing his struggles shows us that Christ's worthiness brought his faithfulness. And so to boast in weakness is, is because he is worthy and we want to be faithful in exalting him, not ourselves. Now what are some implications of boasting in weakness? Three thoughts with our remaining time. 
the, the first is that we can boast in weaknesses because God is always at work in everything. We can hold up our weaknesses and, and be confident that our life can be fruitful because Christ is one at work in them. That's the whole point. We're, we're lifting up weaknesses, what we can't accomplish, knowing that Christ can. And our confidence to say, yeah, here's where I struggle, here's where I'm insufficient. We remain confident because God is the one at work. He's always at work. All the time, in everything. He is the unceasing God who is accomplishing everything in our life that is worth being done. And so it doesn't matter if people are misusing us or we even at times act foolishly. He will cause how much to work out for good? If it's all things, that means he is always at work, period, always at work. That's why we can lay our heads down and rest at night. Instead of worrying about how you're going to handle things, Lord, you're at work while I'm sleeping. That's probably a good thing. You're working and my hands aren't touching it. I'm going to rest in you. At times... When, I, when I'm laying in my bed, I, I even picture I, I, the, the idea that the bed I feel under me is, is God's physical hand. His hand in this moment holding me. I can rest. I'm not going to let anxiety intrude because he's worthy that I rest. And so boasting and weaknesses, it leads to rest because we don't have to keep trying to be the one, the great fixer, the great solver, the one with all the answers. It's not our job. We can't do it. We can't pull it off. Boasting and weaknesses is, is telling our own soul that God is the one at work fruitfully. We often say God's ways are best, meaning we, we want his ways instead of our own. We pray that, we sing that, we know that's a, that's a good Christian thing to say. Well, emphasizing our weakness is a way to actually live that way. God's ways are best and the, the recognition of my weaknesses, make sure that that's not just a slogan. I'm going to live that way. I dare not try to rule. There was uh, an article I saw this week of um, they should list their favorite uh, paintings of Jesus in the workplace. You know, Jesus reaching behind the person, taking the wheel of the car, and Jesus standing with the surgeon, you know, working. And the, it, it was a tongue-in-cheek, kind of a mockery at all the cheesy types of things Christians can come up with, with Jesus is doing this and that. But uh, there still is a great truth in that. 
whatever it is that we're doing, if his hand's not in this, we're in trouble. And so boasting and weaknesses helps us to live by what we say. Second implication, kind of building off the last one. Because God is always at work in all of our weaknesses, weaknesses are never a reason to be discouraged. In fact, we should embrace them. And yet we, we get discouraged because we don't have an ability we want to have, or it's not as high, or our mind's not as quick as someone, or we're not as good at this. So we become discouraged for what we shouldn't be discouraged by what the Bible tells us we're limited. Our confession on Sunday is that we're limited, and then Sunday afternoon we're all discouraged because we can't do something, even though it's Sunday we're singing that we can't do it, and only Christ can. We're, we're inconsistent with our own confessions. Weaknesses are not a problem. What we should fear is our sin, because sin is going the opposite way of God. Sin is saying, God, move out of the way. Weaknesses are not a problem. Weaknesses are never the, the obstacle. Weaknesses are God-given. And your particular collection of weaknesses were designed specifically by the Holy Spirit for you. So your weaknesses are this beautiful display of God's handiwork that you need. If we truly want God to be glorified in all things, another truth that we say and should say, if we want God glorified in all things, then we need to gladly be dependent in all things. If we're not dependent in all things, how can he be glorified in all things? If we're not dependent, that means we're stepping in, we're in charge, and, and he's not being glorified in this area. Because we can handle this one. Pride is the engine behind discouragement over weaknesses. Pride within ourselves. We want to be able to say to ourselves of what we can accomplish. We want people to think better of us. We want them to be impressed. My pride wants to be the greatest preacher you've ever heard. And every week is newly the greatest sermon you've ever heard. That's what I would love. That you're all far more impressed with me than any of the other pastors. Which would be a wonderful experience in our meetings every Tuesday. I, they like you guys, but they're far more impressed with me. I'm sorry about that, just the way it is. Just impressive. My heart, my heart leaps after those thoughts. My heart desires. People think I'm wonderful. And it's nothing but foolish pride. And so 
the concern that people will think less because that sermon wasn't as good. That someone visiting hears a sermon and they had been hoping that we were wishing Kyle would have been good this time. And there they are visiting. Now, he was like the last time we heard. Yeah. The years haven't improved. When we're concerned because of pride about weaknesses, it, pr it promotes shallow veneers of, of this surface display of, of how good we are, of, of how we have it together, and, and then we fall into surface things to impress people. And we hide any failure any sin struggle, because we don't want anyone to know that our marriage is struggling, we need, we need help, or we, we want to look like the perfect parent, so we can't let anyone know that I need prayer for my children, how I, I handle them, and we we isolate ourselves and our failures, and we don't want people to know it. And so we don't get the help we need. We don't, we don't get the prayers that people would be glad to give. We don't get the engagement because we're, we're trying to be strong. But think of, think of a church where we, we have the heart of boasting in our weaknesses. We're not a, afraid or worried about sharing our struggles. Imagine how that then gives everyone else freedom to share their struggles, the things that they're hiding. They, they won't accept me. They won't like me. They won't use me if they, they know I struggle. And so they're holding back rather than everyone finding, this is a safe place to be a weak person. This is a safe place to be someone who struggles every day, sometimes falls flat. And so we're, we're benefiting each other because we're talking about the things we need to and we're praying about the things we need to and our hearts are soft before God as we need and we're not worried about what people are thinking and that's hard. I had to pray before each sermon this morning as I do week by week because I wasn't real excited about just how the message turned out. And I had to remind myself, Lord, it's, it's, I'm here to make your word clear. Whether or not I'm this impressive speaker doesn't do a thing for their souls. Your word will make your word clear. I have to remind myself over and over because I bring in the nonsense of wanting people to think I'm good at what I do. What we need is 
for God to work in our souls. And all that he does is good work. And we need it too much to have mindsets and attitudes, things that, that keep the fullness of that work from taking place and from being obstacles to one another. And from being afraid afterwards, thinking we made a fool of ourselves, or what are they thinking? Let's think more of him. Which brings us to our last thought. Why we boast in weaknesses. Because God deserves all of the glory. Not some, not most. Because all glory is his. There is no glory left. There's no little edges for us. We will be glorified in becoming like Christ. But all the glory belongs to him. It's what the hosts are singing today. All glory and honor and power and might belongs to you. We boast in weaknesses, so we will be those who praise God as he deserves, as the one alone who holds all glory. For he is the creator of all that is. And everything that is continues to exist because he causes it to be so. He is the sovereign over everything. The only authority, the source of every bit of power and every fragment of wisdom. It's from him alone. From him alone. And so what made Paul back in verse 23 a better servant than the super apostles? How could he say that? What made Paul a better servant is that he exalted Christ more. He wasn't trying to exalt himself. He exalted Christ more, which led him to serve Christ with all his heart. Because his heart was captured by Christ. And when your heart is captured by him, your life just follows after. Paul was a better servant because he worshiped the Lord fully. And so we, we need to end by asking ourselves, is Christ your boast? Is he who you boast in? Is, is he who you lift up to say, look, this is what my life is about. This, this is my accomplishment is what he has done. Is he your boast? Is Jesus that glorious to you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for glory we cannot comprehend. Glory so wondrous that it also contains 
an ocean of grace sufficient for all of our foolishness, weakness, sufficient even to cover all of our sin. And we come to you that we would be faithful worshipers who honor you, and so you would use us. As weak and undeserving as we are, that you would make us fruitful. Our hearts would be full because our hearts are centered on you. And so bring the conviction to us of, of where this is not true. We invite you to probe and to touch in areas maybe we've, we've held away. And we ask for the grace to live as we should. And the grace to help each other in this. In Jesus' name, amen.